week. We talked about just and started a series to launch the new year on taking ground. How many were here for last, yeah. last yeah. week? Well, thank you for that. And we, we talked about the story. Uh, it was Joshua's story, the, the overarching story of the Old Testament where God brought, raised up the children of Israel out of slavery and was about to deliver them into a promised land. So we unpacked that with some principles that apply to you and me here and now, things that God wants to do in our life to take us to a better place, a new place, a promised place, out of the old, out of the slavery, the things that would hold us back into a place of freedom. How many, does that sound like good news, that God wants to move us forward, Amen. And this week, I want to take another little different direction with this, this message on unity, and some of it's framed about what we celebrate this weekend, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. I want to talk about taking ground in unity. We're, we've called this first quarter of 2018 a season of unity. We're changing up some venues and changing up format of the services a little bit and trying to unite us in the new Agape Cafe there and Daybreak Chapel is a little bit more interactive. We're, we're trying to help us build relationships because we believe that the kingdom of God is about honor and it's about unity. Do you believe that? That Jesus died for every tribe, tongue, nation, that he doesn't care about color of skin, racial background, whatever it is. Jesus died to make us one. That's what he prayed for. And so that's, that's what we're, we're pursuing, uh, especially to build those new ties of unity the first quarter of 2018. So I just want to hit a couple principles uh, this morning. First, a question. Do you think that God ever gets fed up and says enough is enough? Do you ever think God is fed up? When I say fed up, that he watches something happen over and over again, and he said, wow, that's enough of that. I'm going to intervene. How many believe he intervenes sometimes? See, so, some of you aren't sure. And, and if you look throughout Scripture, the answer is yes. There, there's times he does. He watches things. The cries of people come out. The cries for justice, the cries for deliverance come up before him, and there's many places in Scripture where he says, enough is enough, I'm going to intervene. And such was the case when the children of Israel cried out in slavery, and God raised up a deliverer. It, it says this in Exodus 2, years passed, and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cries rose up to God, and God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel, read the yellow with me, and it was time to act. Man, I love how the New Living Translation says it. People are crying out, and you know, sometimes God's timetable is different than ours. You, you do a Bible study in Scripture on when it says, in, in the appointed time, in the exact time in the planned time that God's got a calendar and there's times when he moves and the times when he acted and here's when he intervened, raised up Moses and God flexed his power, discomfited Pharaoh and, and, and Pharaoh's mindset that he's the all-powerful real deity and he delivered the children of Israel. He said it was time to act. Well, you know, when I think about what's going on in our culture and around us, how many believe we're kind of set up again for a time for God to act, God to move? And there's already some things happening. I mean, we're praying for revival and there's signs of it and there's things that are happening in different places that we'll never hear on the NBC, CBC, you know, CBS, any of that. The, the, the God's at work. But I want to challenge you, especially because we're in a season of prayer and maybe in the season of what's happened in the culture to, to think about 
what God is doing and how we should respond to some of the things around us. Is that okay? See, we've been praying for a long time. How many have been ever praying this prayer out of 2 Chronicles seven fourteen? It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. God said, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. And what does he say he would do? Heal their land. Heal their land. Now, when I ask you, what would a healed land look like to you? What would a healed land look like to you? There are several things that probably jump out for most of us. We would probably say, you know, some of us would say abortion, abortion would stop if God healed the land. Some, some of us would say this whole confusion about marriage and gender and all, all those things, that would get cleared up if, if God would heal the land. And surely some of those things are true. But what if in the, the things we're seeing in the culture that God's doing a different work and a deeper work that some of us maybe have overlooked that still it's on the heart of God to reconcile? It's places where God's working and God wants to work and the culture's kind of going crazy over some of these things. But you and me as the church, sometimes we just focus on a few things and we don't ask God, is this what you really want to heal? And we need to be part of what the Father's doing, amen? Jesus said, I do what I see the Father doing. And so when we talk about reconciliation and some of these other things, yeah, this is a soccer player. What, what, what do you think that finger looks a little goofy? Anybody ever dislocated something before? Yeah, a bunch, and, and somebody needs to what? Before that finger gets fixed, what's going to need to happen? It, it, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Before he gets healed, it's going to hurt. I got this finger that does this because of a motorcycle accident. That, that one was dislocated, and it, and it went back in, but it's still kind of goofy now because ligaments and tendons are different than they were at one time. But that, that's going to hurt when God heals it. How many think sometimes when God heals something, it's going to hurt a little bit? We're, we're going to see it a different way. We're going to have to look at it with a new, new set of eyes if God's going to truly heal something that's affecting us. If there's going to be true healing, then we're going to have to take sometimes a heart check. Sometimes we're going to have to ask God for a different perspective. And so when I look around at what's going on in the culture, I have to ask the question, God, could you be working in some of these places to heal us? Where, where the culture is, you know, last year in San Luis, we had 120 of us on the 20th or so of, of January. We prayer walked the city, and then we all gathered back in Mission Plaza to pray and down the street at Mitchell Park, there was 10,000 people in a women's march. And, and there was protests, and there was things they were concerned about, and issues that really impacted them. And some of them, you know, were contrary to our, our issues, contrary to things that we could get behind. Some were standing up for pro-abortion and other things. But in the, in the midst of it, there's, there's some real, real issues that the church should get behind. Some of those things that have to do with equality, equal work for equal pay. Do you think God's concerned about any of that stuff? Do you think he's concerned enough that those things could be on God's agenda and God's list of what he wants to heal and maybe not on your list and my list? What do you think? Yeah? I was looking for a passage, and maybe I didn't even put it in my notes, but it's in James chapter 5, and it's a rebuke that James gives to the church concerning those very things. He says, you know, that... Uh, 
hey, and it's an, exhor- it's an exhortation against the rich. He said, hey, your money cr- screams out against you, and the cries of the people have come up before God because you have un- been unjust with what you're paying your field workers. That's what James said. And so there's things that come up before God that really maybe aren't on our list, but when we see it in the culture and there's an upheaval, do we pray and say, God, is this something, really, is this just, uh, you know, people going crazy or wild or, or asking for something they don't even deserve, or is this just anarchy? Or, Lord, are you really saying something in our culture? See, the Me Too movement, I totally believe God's exposing some things. How about you? And the idea that our racial reconciliation matters in the heart of God. Why, why child sex trafficking, it, it no longer should be ignored? How, how many believe that that's come before God? The cries of the people have come before God. And there's YWAM and other organizations around the world are working wholeheartedly to, to help make inroads. There's organizations in our community working to put safe houses together for young girls and, and young boys are on the streets prostituting themselves. And those things grieve the heart of God. So when you and me say, we, we want you to heal our land, some of us would say, God, we want interest rates to go lower. God, heal our land. And, and, and Lord, we want the financial institutions to be favorable so I can borrow more money to, to build my businesses. And, and there's some good things about healing our land. Sometimes we, we, we think in terms of maybe our perspective, our theology is based on where we stand and who we are and what our background is. But when we're praying for God to heal our land, do we ever ask him, what are the big issues in your heart, God? Because Jesus prayed a prayer that you and me would be one. And are we concerned about Jesus' prayer? Oh, here's the, here's the scripture. Look here, you rich people. Um, this isn't against rich people. This is the reason why he's rebuking. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Ouch. Your wealth is rotting away. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away. Hey, this is New Testament. This isn't like an Old Testament angry prophet, okay? <laughs> the very wealth you're counting on will eat away your flesh. This corroded treasure you have hoarded up will testify against you on the day of judgment. Why? Well, listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you've cheated of their pay. The cries of those whose harvest your fields have reached. Look at who it reaches. It reaches the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. And, and, and that means cries come up before the Lord all over the world. And uh, when he hears those cries, I believe he moves to bring deliverers. I believe he moves to bring reconciliation and change. Do you believe we have a God like that? And sometimes it's not from Mike Sparrow's middle-class white perspective that God is just wanting to heal things. There's greater things that he's doing all over the earth. Amen? Martin Luther King Jr. said this, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they'll not be judged by the color of their skin, by the content of their character. I don't care what color you are in the room, but how many would want that for your kids? How, How many believe in that dream for your kids? See... My Je- I have three kids, Jeff, uh, Ali, and Josh, and Jeff studied Cal Poly, he studied business. But if Ali went to Cal Poly, and she took the same classes as Jeff did, and I paid the same tuition for Ali as I did for Jeff, she had the same teachers, same courses, got the same degree, and applied at the same company, I would want my daughter to be treated fairly and not given $10,000 a year less than my son. How about you? And, and, and do you think that God cares about some of that when half the population in the world is, is women? Do, do you think God hears some of those cries that have been going on in our culture, and yet some of it that might be in control have been silenced to some of that? 
I think those are justice issues that matter to God. It got real quiet in this church. Do you think they matter to God? They matter to God. And so when you dream about God healing our land, do you dream about going back to the good old days? And some of us do. I, I, I think sometimes, you know, how things were better than or different than or cleaner than or clearer than. And, and it's really hard to go back to the good old days. Or do you ask God, what do you want to change in the way I see the world to make the world a better place and a healed place? Do you, do you pray that way? Say law. Pause and think about it. So this is, this is what scripture says. Come on, read this with me. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. High five your neighbor and say we're family. We're family. You might look different than me. If we went on to Ancestry.com and we put our genetics in, they would not match. It does not matter. God set our genetics according to we're children of God. Amen? And because of that, we're valuable. And because of that, we're called to honor each other and come together as one. Rick Warren said this, racial reconciliation is not a minor issue in the Bible. It's the heart of the gospel. They'll be reconciled. They'll be reconciled, walking in love. It's, it's in the heart of the gospel. Jesus said this, I'm praying, not only for these disciples, but also for all who ever believe in me through your message. I pray that, that we will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father and I, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Where is our unity? It's what? In Christ. It's in our relationship in Christ that we've been called, we've been saved, we've been set apart because of our relationship <laughs> with God. And because of that, we're in Christ, amen? And because we're in Christ, because we, we have that identity now, our identity is not just as Mike, the, I just did my Ancestry.com, so I'm 51% Irish and British and then bunch of other things, and a little bit Native American. And, uh, and that's not my identity. My identity, that's my uh, genetic history. My identity is I'm a follower, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. How about you? That's my primary identity. And Jesus prayed that you and me would be one, and so we need to work on those things. What happened? Well, in the 90s, how many remember Promise Keepers? How many of you were, were, were involved with Promise Keepers? And we made many trips to Promise Keepers in our church, and we took on some of the, those uh, manpower studies and the, some of the things we were doing to try and bring down walls. Several pastors in this community, at least a dozen of us, went to Atlanta to the big Promise Keepers gathering with a, with a commitment to bring down denominational walls. I've helped lead that. I've helped cheerlead that in the community for many, many many years. I, I washed Vlad Alford's feet. He's a black pastor in the community, and he washed mine, and we've, we've been friends. I mean, we took many steps in how to bring these walls down, but then coming mid-2000, something happened, and politics got in the way, and, and there's different things that started to occur that began to polarize the church and cause ought one with another, and we've started taking sides, and so some of the things that became political, we have to ask, is this political? Is this kingdom? 
Because in the middle of it, we got to sort out some of the politics. But in the middle of it, I still need to be committed to you no matter what color you are because you're my brother. Amen? Or you're my sister. And we need to work together in these things to help heal this, this thing that just seems like it's out of control. The answer should be in the church. The answer should be with you and me. But what happened? Well, here's some of the names for Satan. He's called an adversary, one who resists. He's an enemy of God and all God loves. He hates everything that God loves. So if God wants unity in the church, what's he going to do? He's going to oppose it. He's going to try and divide us. Scripture says, Jesus said in the Gospels, he's the one that causes division. He talks about the thief that enters the house and, and brings division. He's a deceiver and a schemer. He sets schemes up so we develop distrust for one another. He doesn't even have to show up. He can't be every place at once, but he sets schemes in place to build distrust between us and one another. And he uses the media because he is the prince of the power of the air. And the media is always there with the little cameras to bring the division, to bring the hatred, and to amplify those things. He's a deceiver and a schemer. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's a liar and the father of lies. He's a twister and perverter of truth. He's the God of this world, but he's been defeated at the cross and stripped of all his power and authority. And so you and me are called to take ground to take ground and to take background what God wants to do in uniting us as it's been just disseminated and the momentum behind it is dwindled. You and me, we can do something at least in this community. We can do something in this church to maintain and strengthen and continue to moving force in unity. Is anybody with me this morning? Do you believe that in this house? Do you believe we can do that in this house? God has called us to that in this house. Matt Chandler said this, racial reconciliation is the vision of God, it's the work of God, and it can't be accomplished without the what? The help of God. We need his help in doing it. We need his help in moving us forward in these things. It's got to be a priority to us because I believe it's a priority to him. We're not going to have time to watch that little clip, but let me, let me talk to you just a few things, some practical things. I can't change the politics. I can't change the culture, but I find this, and, and so in my history growing up, I, I've had friends of mixed cultures and mixed races, but probably the most thing I ever learned uh, just a, about standing in somebody else's shoes and beginning to understand life through another set of eyes, especially in the black community and from a black perspective is with James Johnson Hill, who was our associate pastor and our worship leader. And he came to us from Cal Poly when he was 20-some years old, he had to do an internship. He had to do 20-plus hours. He got permission to do them here. And uh, he and I became friends. And we would talk, sometimes heated discussions about the division. And part of it from my white, middle-class upbringing would say, this thing's 250 years old. A lot of the laws were passed in the 60s. I don't know. Why can't you just move on? Why, why, why are there some things still persisting? Why are those things still going on? And I said, in the community, it doesn't feel like that. And we'd have those kind of debates. He'd say, yeah, there's still deep issues. You, you, don't, you don't carry it the same way people that have historically been put down or set aside. You, you don't carry it the same way. And he talked to me about some of those wounds. Not only that, so, some of the issues that we do to help perpetuate it. And, and I want to change that. I've been proactive in trying to change that. But this is what I've discovered, and these principles of work, whether it's in your marriage or, or anywhere, I've found that human re relationships thrive when we work on these things. And this is race to race, or this is husband to wife, or this is just amongst us, that if we hold these as core values, 
and work on these as core values regardless of color, gender, background. If we just work on these as agape church, we'll, we'll be doing our part to help heal things in the community. And the three things are unconditional love, learning to consistently show respect, and then to build trust. Do you think those things could be valid and helpful? Here, here's unconditional love. You see value and worth in who I am as a person, regardless of what I do or don't do for you. You, you just see value, and you determine to see value in other people. They might look different than you. They might have a different background than you. Traveling in other countries, sometimes, you know, I was quick to make just quick facial ju judgments about people, and then you need to know their heart. We went to the Navajo Reservation a couple years ago for the first time. I've driven through there, but never got to meet any of the Navajo pastors. And these guys are amazing guys. Their love for God and, and what they've gone through and the things they're doing and, and their heart to see God move in the reservation. I mean, I would look upon them initially and I would just make some judgments about education and where they're from. But when I got to know their heart, these guys are amazing brothers. And some of their wives are just like passionate for Jesus. And so learning to see people and value people just because God values them. That if, if you're walking unconditional love, you would not compare me to others as a measure of my value, but honor me for how I was made. I'm an image bearer of God. Everyone in here, an image bearer of God. It could be corrupted into greater degrees in some than the other, but Scripture said you and me were made in his image and likeness. And I got to keep that in mind no matter how corrupted I got and was redeemed or how corrupted somebody else could be now and God wants to re be, redeem them they still bear the image of Jesus Christ or the image of God in them. Amen? If you're walking in unconditional love, you care about my well-being and would celebrate my success and have compassion. Say compassion. You'd have compassion on me and my calamities. So in unconditional love cares about the other person and what's going on in them and how to help deliver them or pray for them until they're free. You would value our relationship enough to strive to resolve our differences, disagreements, and seek forgiveness and reconciliation. So when we say, you know, we want to mend things and we're going to walk in unconditional love to each other, when, when things get tough or there's breaches or brokenness, we just don't blow it off and say, ah, oh, that's not valuable. They're just being that or them. No, when, when we say, you know, we value relationship because the Father values relationship, we work on trying to patch those things up and not let those things fester and grow apart and blow apart if I have unconditional love for you. Amen? Yeah. You all right? This is what scripture said, or this is what Martin Luther King said, and then scripture. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Every genuine expression of love grows out of a consistent and total surrender to God. So when we surrender to God, the outflow of surrender to God, because God is love, when we surrender to God, when we fully surrender to God, the outflow of that should be his love towards other people. Do you believe that? John said it this way, we love because what he first loved us. Let's quickly talk about showing respect. You know, when we do premarital counseling, I always talk to couples about love and respect are the two foundational things in relationship. You can say, he's cute, I love her hair, I love her smile, I love the twinkle in her eyes, I love that she's so friendly, but what sustains relationships is building and maintaining what? Trust and respect. So how do I show respect and develop it with other people? I, I, when, when you're showing me respect, you're seeking to understand my story. You want to see life from my set of shoes. And Jesus was amazing at that. 
Scripture said he had a spirit of wisdom and understanding on him. He could, he could take the place and see life through the eyes of the woman caught in adultery. He could see life through the, through the eyes of the father that his little daughter died and he's crying out and said, would you come and deliver my, my child? Jesus could hear the cries of the demoniac across the lake and was moved with compassion to go bring deliverance to him. Jesus was able to understand people from different backgrounds and different places and we could, he could minister to them from that place. So if you respect me, you care about my story. You look beyond my physical makeup, my ethnicity, my gender, my appearance, my background, and you're interested in my opinion and my perspective and what I bring to the table as an equal. I have something to contribute. You, you, you at life groups or home groups or maybe in the workroom or around the work table, you don't just blow people off. You, you, you say they, they have perspective. They have something to bring to the table. God's made them with a position, and it's so interesting. The cultures around the world, they all have something to bring to the table. They're all gifted in certain ways. I love our praise and worship, but back in the day when we go to Kenya and in worship in Kenya, man, I wouldn't trade that for nothing. You'd be breathing a pound of dust every time we start worship. The dust would rise like the smoke fell today. I reminded me of Kenya. But anyway, that, that experience of worship there and praise there, wow, off the charts, and, and everybody brings something to the table. So when I show you respect, I acknowledge you have something valuable that I need or that I can grow from. Amen? You treat me fairly like you treat anyone else. If you're respecting me, you're treating me fairly. You're treating me just like you would treat a brother or a, a relative. You treat me fair. You're mindful of my feelings. You do not do things to attack or undermine my personhood. So when you, when you respect me, you're, you're, you're for me and I'm for you. And I'm not doing things intentionally to bring you down or to, to knock you sideways. I'm showing you respect. And when we do that between other cultures, you know, M Moni Mock's a good friend. And we just were down and spoke at his church. And when I first met him and the first time I went to Cambodia, I invited him to a pastor's conference down in L.A. And he's kind of quiet. He speaks pretty good English, but he's so humble, he and his wife. I mean, if you didn't intentionally look to them or pay attention to them, you would think he might be the maintenance guy because he doesn't dress real flashy. He's just in the background. But, but he's got about 15,000 Cambodians under him in Cambodia. And he's got powerful leadership. And he showed me a map where he's taking the whole country of Cambodia. He's got a strategy to take the whole country of Cambodia. But, but if he didn't stop and listen to his story, if he didn't stop and just want to get to know him, you could miss so much that's changed my whole life. You, you could miss so much about the power and the prayer and, and who this guy is as a man of God because he looks different than me, because we eat different foods, because of all the other things that make us different. Christ makes us similar. I mean, when I'm with him, man, it stirs up this apostolic juice that I cannot get away from when I'm with him because of just what, what he brings to the table. And so... I'm mindful. I wouldn't want to hurt him for anything. I wouldn't want to d dishonor those guys for anything. I love them. Amen? They're friends. Last but not least, building trust. I, if we're going to build trust, I have to have confidence. You got my back. I, I got to be able to rest that you'll be honest with me and you're not a different person behind my back. So if we're going to build trust when we're talking... When we're communicating that you're just honest with me, up front with me, that I'm not doing stuff behind your pack. I'm not working a plan B behind your back. 
To build trust, I got to believe you're going to stick up for me and go to battle for me, just like I will for you. My secret's got to be safe with you, just like your secret's got to be safe with me. And so even uh, with, with different cultures, I still remember when James first started working for us. We were at the other building by the airport. I'm almost done, please, I promise. We're at the airport, and we had petty cash upstairs, and we didn't really have a lock to the office up there, but we had petty cash up there. And there's so much in there, and some of the petty cash got, was missing. And so Pam was our bookkeeper back then, and uh, we, we didn't know who did it. And so we even put out petty cash and left some out on purpose just to see what would happen, like not locked up. And sure enough, petty cash disappeared. So I got the staff together. I said, not many people know where the petty cash is, even stashed. What, what's going on? Does anybody know what happened? Well, James told me out of that interaction, he was just new with the staff. He said, you know, I just got to be honest with you. How you asked me, it felt accusatory. And this is what I, I've grown up with. It's always the black man's fault when something like this happens. I said, no, I'm not accusing you. I just said, this is, this." he says, I know. I just want you to know how I've been trained to hear that by the environment around me. The white guy's going to stick with me, but if something goes wrong, the white guy doesn't have my back. And I said, I'm going to change that, man. And, and we've worked on that communication and those things and trying to heal that mindset. Now, I could just blow it off and say, that's your issue, dude. Or, 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 or I could say, that, that, that's the culture behind you. And as a man of God and a brother in the Lord, let, let's move forward. We're going to heal these things. We're going to walk in honesty. We're going to build trust. I trust that man with my house, my car. I mean, he stayed at my house. I, I trust him with everything I own because we've worked on those things as brothers in the Lord. Amen? And in building trust, you got to treat, you, you treat my stuff like your own. I'll treat your stuff like my own. So in building trust, if I loan you something, I'm going to have to know you're going to take care of it. And then you'll do your best to keep the promises you make, and I'll do my best to keep the promises you make. And then you're going to be accountable to me. If something goes wrong, we're going to be able to talk through it. And when there's trust and respect and unconditional love and relationships and between spouses, I've seen things flourish and grow. All those things take work. Say work. All of them take work. And especially through people that are different than us or different backgrounds than us, we have to be intentional because, to be honest with you, I usually gravitate towards people that are more comfortable like me. I've always gravitated towards water people, people that surf or ski or do, do those kind of things, frozen water too. And, and just gravitate towards people that are like you. And so that's the people that I was more comfortable with, and we did things together. And, uh, but I tell you what, it's been so enriching to go beyond those boundaries and to learn and to meet other people that are different than me, that are valuable and helpful, important in the kingdom of God. Amen? Stand with me, and we're going we're gonna to wrap it up. How many believe Jesus is going to get his way? How many believe he's going to get his way? That the church is going to be healed. I want us to read this together. This is out of Revelation. It's a vision in Revelation. I want this to be our vision. Come on. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. The Pentecostals are there, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen? How many believe that that's God's vision? And 
Amen. So, Father, I thank you for today. I, I thank you for how you've blessed us with a church of varied backgrounds. And we even heard Avi's story today, Lord, how you brought him from India. And, Lord, I, I pray that we would just work on our political point of views and align those with kingdom point of views and show us how to make that shift, make that difference. There's things that are healthy for our country that we need to affirm, but there's things that are kingdom that have to be core values to us. And so help us to be able to discern the difference in those things, Lord. And number one, that we would respect and seek what you seek. We would want the answers to what you're looking to answers for. We would work and see what you're doing, God, and help us align ourselves with what you're doing to bring unity and to bring healing where we can over these divides in our country.